0: Hello and welcome back to the Weekside Podcast, a very special episode alongside my esteemed colleague, SI senior writer, Jenny Vrentis. I'm Connor Orr. And Jenny, we've got the big free agency award show extravaganza today. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Love it.
1: Well, this is really hyping me up for this award show.
0: I wish I had, like, a better name, like, I'm your host, Jet, you know, da-da-da, yeah. and, you know, yeah. Very good. I love it. Um, Perfect. So, I think, like, you and I were talking about, this is a, this was a weird free agency, right, where, it, like, almost every signing... From a fan's perspective, you're sitting there and saying, Oh, that's cool, that's cool, that's cool. From someone who covers the league, you're like, Oh, that sucks. Every one of these people has waited throughout the course of the rookie contracts to hit this point in their life, and they're almost all taking less money than they probably should have. You know, like it seems like a lot of these guys got squeezed. Some of the markets were really jammed up, I think, by the limited salary cap. Unless you're an offensive lineman or a quarterback, it seems like pretty slim pickings out there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the offensive line and market was robust as expected because there were a lot of talented players available. Receiver really got the squeeze. Um, There were, I guess, enough players. I mean, some of them got tagged, so they were off the market earlier. Enough players that teams expect to be able to draft that the free agent receiver market was so slow moving that Kenny Galladay did not sign until this past weekend which was a little bit of a surprise given that he was looked at as a prime free agent player that was available.
0: Speaking of which come on to give yourself a little bit of credit you said uh, yeah the offensive line market held its value because you predicted it as a rent consensus. Oh assassin. man so, you know that was your or- that was your 4a the oracle front so are you feeling very very threatened uh, i
1: mean again connor as i said last week i just made a broad prediction that had a lot of ways in which it could be partially true and i could still get credit for it so That was the the secret. (laughs)
0: It's the story of my life. Uh, So, all right, let's jump into our uh, awards. Uh, I think the first one that I think we should do is we should start with sort of the uh, broadest category, and that is just best and worst overall performances in free agency. So, (sighs) wow, We've
1: got lots of great sound effects. Thank you,
0: Shelby. Producer Shelby's killing it today. So, um, Jenny, I will ask you, um, we'll start with... uh, We'll start with worst overall performances. Uh, you know, I'm in the mood to end on high notes oh, okay. today. So okay. which team do you think had the worst overall performance in free agency?
1: Connor, this is going to be right up your alley, but I cannot answer this category without saying the Las Vegas Raiders.
0: Yes, I concur. L- yes.
1: <laughs> We've talked a lot about teams taking advantage of this robust offensive line market to fortify their offensive line, the most important part of the team. And yet, the Raiders went the opposite direction and dismantled their offensive line. Also, this year was a inflection point to really put into context how they've bungled the last few years and the last few free agencies. I think Vic Tefer of The Athletic sort of pointed out that when they traded Khalil Mack, they pointed out that if they hadn't made that move, they wouldn't be able to sign Trent Brown. Antonio Brown, LaMarcus Joyner, Vontaze perfect Tyrell Williams, and none of those players are currently <laughs> on the Raiders roster. So they have clearly made a lot of missteps the last few years. They don't seem to be building toward anything. I mean, this was supposed to be, as they prepared for the move to Vegas, it was supposed to be a team that was on the ascent, and they've continued to be middling and directionless. And so, Connor. Any other coach would be on the hot seat. But John Gruden has a 10-year contract, and so he is not.
0: I think any other coach would have been fired by right. now. I right. right. I, I, mean, I think you're right. I think you're right. We um I was talking about this on uh on, I w- I went on a, a Raiders podcast recently and um I think it was sort of a, a branch of a, a conversation that we had a few weeks ago. So, you know, uh, Anthony Lynn is the perfect example. Here's a guy that has made the had made the playoffs in one of his first 3 years as a head coach, a guy who developed a rookie of the year quarterback and is currently unemployed and then here's Sean Gruden who's just dismantling a team year by year by year has not made the playoffs. Uh, The one thing I guess you could say as a positive for Gruden is that Derek Carr is playing slightly better now than he was when he first arrived but my goodness what else can you say about this team in terms of the direction that it's going in?
1: Right there's not a clear plan and you know when you make a move like the Khalil Mack trade The point was there's a lot of work that needs to be done in our roster. This is going to be the thing that will allow us to build over the next few years to become a a real contender. I mean, their point was we're going to trade away an elite player at a single position and we're going to get back a return that could fortify their roster in a lot of other areas. Now, they, of course, did get two draft picks back in that. But the point is, you know, they haven't made that step-by-step building that they promised and they are no better off than they were when they made the trade
0: yeah I, I I just think now uh, things could change, right? Oh, uh, Las Vegas could turn around in the next few days and get Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz, and maybe I rethink a little bit of their off season, you know. And okay, they like the guy behind Rodney Hudson, and maybe he, it's time for him to step in and develop. Maybe the offensive line was a little overrated. Those are the pushback statements that I've been getting from a lot of Raiders fans out there okay. that people don't understand how bad the, the offensive line was overrated. Uh, I guess or a balanced okay. show.
1: We're considering all perspectives.
0: We report, you decide. Um, But uh, I think that it it just, it seems like, someone put it this way, and it was kind of a joke on Twitter, but someone said it seems like John Gruden and Mike Mayock are, are just, like they have guys that they like and they just sign them, but then there's no part two to that plan, right? Like we love Kenyon Drake and we think that we could use him in the passing game or the running game, so let's sign him. But how do you make that, functional how do you make that possible and you know i think it's just like the mark of a bad business like you can make a hire you can hire a good person but just have no idea how to utilize them and i think that maybe that's a little bit the case in oakland or in las vegas they they have to nail this draft if they don't i mean can you imagine going four years without making the playoffs and so basically the front half of your 10-year 100 million dollar contract results in zero playoff bursts. that's that's incredible
1: yeah, and I mean to be fair, they have gotten marginally better each year. I mean, they've gone from four and twelve to seven and nine to eight and eight, but they have not had a winning season. And you know that twelve and four campaign, which was the year before Jack Del Rio was fired, so two years before Gruden was brought in, is still their recent high points. And yeah, they haven't. I, I just remember players saying, you know, I was out there at, at training camp before their last season in Oakland. And I remember players saying, we're building towards that first year in Vegas. That's going to be the year that we really break through. We're going to show people that the Mac trade was worth it. We got all of these pieces. We made our roster better in so many areas. And that was really what we needed. And so that was supposed to be last season. And they ended up eight and eight and didn't miss the, didn't make the playoffs. So As we sit here, we haven't seen a Raiders team that is is appearing to get a lot better. And as you said, Connor, free agency is not the only way. But I just think it was a reminder of the fact that their plan to date hasn't unfolded like it promised. And that there should be thus some scrutiny on this current direction for the Raiders.
0: I think that's a good... uh that's a good place for us at the Weekside Podcast to plant our flag, is if you need Raiders scrutiny, come here. We <laughs> will uh, we will be more than happy to dish it out. Uh, so mine for worst overall performance, and I uh, this is we're at the halfway point, right? So I'm going to couch this by saying, if they end up drafting a quarterback with high upside, if they trade up, if they make some sort of maneuver here, um, I will... I will erase this from the the history of podcast annals. But right now, (laughs) I would say that the Bears are having the worst free agency because this is what blows my mind. And maybe I could be wrong, but I'm under the impression that if you're Ryan Pace, you're probably not coming back next year if the team doesn't win. If the team doesn't make the playoffs, I think that last Mm -hmm. year your team was extremely lucky to make the playoffs. And, you know, we're not even in the same class as the Saints when you got into that game. Uh, And then you opt to upgrade Mitchell Trubisky with Andy Dalton. And again, you tried. You tried to get Russell Wilson. The Dan Patrick show, Dan Patrick reported that it was three first-round picks they offered for Russell Wilson, plus two starters. You know, was Khalil Mack involved in that? I don't know. But, you know, presumably you gave your best shot for Russell Wilson, didn't get him, and so you settled for Andy Dalton, but... If you're Ryan Pace, like, that's that's the way you want to go out? Like, th- this is the plan? I don't know. I mean, there, there wasn't, like, another thing. Like, I was telling Gary on the Monday Morning Podcast this week, I would rather, like, I, I would rather trade for Trace McSorley. Like, somebody who's, like, who has, like, a dual threat uh, you know, uh, option there, like you know, like almost like Tyrod Taylor was a few years ago, an unknown commodity with, uh, with a with the dual threat option. You could in- introduce some different packages with them, like have some kind of backup plan, like some sort of wrinkle here. It- Taysom Hill, I don't care what it is, like, but there just seems to be like, okay, it's Nick Foles and Andy Dalton. Here you go, sorry.
1: Yeah, your idea would be to bring someone in that has a little bit higher upside. Maybe you can manufacture some wrinkles or some offense, try something a little bit different. Whereas with Andy Dalton, you know exactly what you're getting, and the ceiling is not very high there. I, I agree with you, Connor. And, yeah, I mean, I think the draft is important, but this is a regime that's also on the hot seat, and their appearance in the playoffs last year was grounds for us all to question the expanded playoffs field and the, uh, the, you know, to doubt the value of the number seven seed. That's what the <laughs> Chicago bears 2020 season existed for essentially. So good pick Connor. Good pick.
0: Yeah. Uh, we'll see. I mean, like I said, the bears, you know, they tricked me, right? It was like, okay, they tagged Allen Robinson and then they're involved in the Kenny Galladay discussions. And I'm like, okay, here we go. Then when are you in the big quarterback move? Nothing. How do
1: you feel if you're Alan Robinson, man?
0: Uh, I know this is rough stuff.
1: Rough stuff. Yeah.
0: Rough stuff. Indeed. Okay. um, So let's move on to the second category um, or no, I'm sorry. The the second part of this category. So like we said, we're going to end on a positive note here. Jenny, (laughs) which team do you think really nailed it this year?
1: Well, I think the Bucks did a good job keeping their own, which is not an easy thing to do after a Super Bowl title. Uh, that was what they set out to do. They tagged Chris Godwin, but they also were able to keep Shaq Barrett, Levante David, Gronkowski, Suckup. So they did what they set out to do. They brought back most of the pieces that were essential to their Super Bowl win last season. And... As we know, it's not easy to repeat. It's not easy to be favorites back-to-back, but they certainly did what they needed to do this offseason to keep the core of that team intact and give them the best possible chance in 2021 to repeat.
0: Yeah, there's going to be a lot of talk about uh, bringing the band back together. And so, uh, that's very exciting. Uh, and I think too, I wouldn't be surprised. Like if you're looking at the rest of the names that are left in free agency, um, editor Gary Gramlin did a nice job compiling the top 200 free agent list. If you want to check that out on si.com. Um, There's a lot of big names out there that maybe have a little bit of gas left in the tank, like, you know, Kawan Short, you know, or someone like that, you know, where you're thinking like some of these guys might view this as like fertile ground to either win a championship before they retire or to springboard them into like a Robert Quinn contract, like a really good, you know, end of career contract, you know, where they have a couple sacks and kind of regenerate their career. I could see Tampa being really active on that market, too, and sort of nibbling around the edges there as well.
1: Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's still Leonard Fournette is still out there. Seems like a few teams are interested in their services. So or his services, excuse me. So it's still possible as of this time that we're recording on Monday that he does return the, to the Bucks. But, yeah, overall been a been a pretty uh, they stayed on their charted course, Connor. So. All right. What do you have for the best free agency performance?
0: I have the Jets. Uh, Interesting and, Yeah, so I I don't know I think that there was Maybe I've been talking to Gary too much G- <laughs> Gary, uh, our editor, Gary Grambling Is obsessed with Jared Davis um, I don't know a person Outside of the Davis family Who uh, has as much affinity For Jared Davis as Gary Grambling does uh, He kind of got me hooked a little bit uh, You know, I was watching a lot of uh, His tape last week um, And kind of combine that with some perspective that I had gotten from, um, uh, from some other coaches when I was talking to them about Matt Patricia's defense and how disorganized it was. And so if you take that into perspective, his little flaws coverage mostly, um, could be chalked up to the fact that that defense was just a hot mess, you know? And then if you put him into a jets defense with Robert Sala that you're assuming is very well organized, then Hey, maybe there's a, there's a chance that that gets interesting. um, Corey Davis, you know, I I think will just be okay, you know, but an upgrade Mm -hmm. there. You need somebody there. Um, And I don't think that, you know, he was expensive, but I don't think they dramatically overpaid, even though it was a kind of a a, a depressed wide receiver market. Um, And then Lawson was probably my favorite signing just because I like the idea of players who are overperforming in bad situations, and you know you can kind of get them at a at a decent price. Whereas, like, it, I don't know what the Bengals' plan was, but I would have much rather kept Lawson than bring in someone like Trey Hendrickson, who has twelve sacks in a defense where you're surrounded by superstars. You know, and, whereas Lawson maybe battles out six sacks, but there's nobody else around him to help him get those. And so, um, yeah, I, I I like it, and I, I think they're building something that you know seems to make a little bit of sense for them. They added Sheldon Rankins there uh, over the week which i think was a nice um was a nice piece too so i don't know i think yeah. a nice little nice little uh free agency for joe douglas you would obviously like to have seen him been more active um up front with the offensive line but maybe that ch- maybe there's a draft related plan there i don't know maybe he's going to be in on some of these other guys who are cut too
1: yeah i really like the loss and signing i am iffy on on davis as you referenced you know i Eleven touchdowns in his career, never a, a thousand yard season. But you're right. They didn't drastically overpay for him. Can he fill that role of the number one receiver they need him to be? I have doubts about that, but overall a pretty pragmatic signing period for the Jets, which is what we expected with Joe Douglas at the helm. And I think a lot of the moves were were really shrewd ones. So that's a wow, the Jets in the winners category, Connor. Look at you know that. what's
0: weird though is like how many times have we um well, I guess McCagnan was the lone outlier, but you were you were Tannenbaum, and then I was Idzik when we covered the Jets, and Idzik was the beginning of the era of celebrating pragmatism. And oh, I remember, boy. like, That's I remember true. how many times I used the word pragmatism to d- define John Idzik um, during his early going with the Jets. And uh, man, alive! Uh, I mean, that obviously didn't work out. And then Mike McCagnan was very exciting. Big Mac, they called him as he uh, he went and spent all their money and uh, now we have Joe Douglas who who knows uh, maybe back to pragmatism but fun pragmatism I don't know I just let, let's just let's have the Jets be good I, I life is more fun when the Jets are good I would like the Jets to be good in a situation where you and I don't have to be stressed out about
1: it. <laughs> right? I mean like, yeah well now I really regret my use of the word pragmatism Connor but um but you know Still stands, I suppose. Yeah,
0: good on the Jets. Uh, free agency winners there for sure. Um, Joe Douglas having uh, himself a nice, uh, a nice uh, second off season there. Um, so, all right, let's move on all to right. second category. Um, this is going to be a fun one. Best and worst overall signing. Love it. Uh, yeah. The so. This is an interesting category for me because I think most signings from a team perspective were very good signings, right? Because you got such good deals. Uh, A lot of players took less, they took shorter deals, um, not a ton of long-term contracts, not a lot of big money handed out. Even as we talked about with Dak Prescott, he gets this massive four-year deal, but um, I, I I forget who had mentioned this, but um, maybe I think it was David Cantor, the agent on Twitter, who said, "But what does Jerry Jones know about the TV deals that we don't know? You know, some of this stuff needs to be placed in its proper context, even mm-hmm. the big money that was spent." Um, but um, I think there were some especially good and bad deals. So let's start with the worst overall signing. Um, where are you at with that one, Jenny?
1: Seattle not signing an offensive lineman. So mm. here I am talking yet again about the. Offensive line market, so I'm really, uh, you know, really you have to make hit, this your own. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know, but I, I really am confused. There were a lot of good offensive linemen that were on the market. Teams really made pushes for them, right? You know, San Francisco went all in to sign Trent Williams, perhaps too far in, but still they <laughs> needed him and and they got him at a high price tag. The Chiefs needed to upgrade uh, after losing Mitchell Schwartz and Eric Fisher, so they got Joe Tooney, got Kyle Long. You know, you see a lot of teams across the league making moves at the line position. The Chargers, teams that are contenders and know they need an upgrade on the offensive line and here you have the seahawks and russell wilson has cried out for offensive line support yet again it's like that bernie sanders meme i suppose and um (laughs) yet again they did not sign a lineman connor
0: you know what's weird too is like it's they turned down they It's been such a weird like move counter move between Russell Wilson and the Jets. So they don't do what Russell Wilson wants. And well, they do what he wants first. They they hire Shane Waldron as their offensive coordinator from the Rams. And then he comes out with these with this kind of soft trade. I'm gonna put demand in air quotes because it wasn't really demand and then you know they come back with the well he wants all this crazy stuff and then the Bears come in with this trade and there's just this weird like thing where it seems like both sides want the same thing but they're not really listening to one another um and I think they're right like an offensive lineman helps everybody an offensive lineman helps Pete Carroll hand the ball to Chris Carson 25 times a game too. You know, this is, there's, there's a two way street here, but uh, for some reason it doesn't seem like they want to hold hands and talk this out yet. So I I don't know what the answer is. It, It, I know we've brought this up now three times on the show, uh, but it does kind of leave an interesting question as to where Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz are headed, because like That's the true. two of them could really dramatically alter our thoughts on some of this, uh, some of these teams in in Wave Two of free agency. is also supposed to be at least a half decent um, draft class for offensive linemen, but um, yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Very interesting that they didn't do that, you know, because you just figured why not right like just get one and then i think that everybody's at least a little happier right like everybody feels a little bit better about it
1: yeah well to your point connor though i'm glad that you made that point because this show could soon be obsolete and <laughs> that the never section of the show at the least i was going to say and that would not be the first time that it happened <laughs> that the show has soon become obsolete after recording so we are carving out this allowance that perhaps things will change all right connor what is your pick for the worst team performance or excuse just, me, worst signing?
0: So I just had like a chill to the bones because I'm about to publicly criticize Bill Belichick and this is never good. It's not going to work out for me. He's going to have like 31 touchdowns this year and re- rewrite the record books. Um, I mean, the I best. know what you're
1: going to say. Just do it Connor. Cause I, I agree with you.
0: Nelson Aguilar. Like, yeah, I don't love it. Right. Yeah. Same. I don't love it. I, I think it was like, now He might have been uh, we don't know what Belichick's pre-draft evaluation was on Nelson Aguilar like that. You know, that could have been one of those guys that he loved and obviously wasn't in a position to draft. I think Chip Kelly took him in the early 20s, I think, at some point. Um, And the Patriots, I'm guessing, were floating back behind there somewhere. Um, Aguilar uh, played well against the Patriots in that Super Bowl. Pick Uh, number 20, Connor. Pick number 20. Okay. Um, Aguilar played well against the Patriots in that Super Bowl, if I'm not mistaken. And so, you know, there's some reference points there for Belichick. But, like, I I need to see a clearer... Version of the picture before I'm all in on this. I love the tight end signings. I thought that was brilliant. Mm-hmm. You're going back to what you know and uh, what you're comfortable with as a team. I think that makes Cam Newton a better quarterback. I don't know if Nelson Aguilar necessarily fits in that category. He's more of a boomer bust player. Um, I don't want to categorize him as a guy who drops a lot of balls because I don't think that's fair. That said, I don't think he's necessarily also the guy who's going to like. Earn you first down after first down, which is what New England, I think, benefits from. They're a good clock control offense. And I don't know if Nelson Aguilar is that kind of wide receiver.
1: Yeah, I think basically as some draft mistakes have accumulated over the last few years and the lack of offensive talent on the Patriots roster has become glaring, they were in a position where they had to spend big in free agency this year and they had to do that with what was available to them. And I agree with you, Connor. I I love the tight end signings. I think that's the kind of offense they want to run. It will allow them to run that kind of offense. And so I understood both of those moves. I I similarly was, was scratching my head at, at Aguilar, but uh, yeah, they needed to, they needed talent in a lot of different places. And so they made a lot of gambles, some that we liked, some that they didn't, but You're right. I think that's really smart to refer back to the pre-draft evaluation because we know that Bill Belichick, as all teams do, part of your pre-draft evaluation is getting to know players who you might not be in a position to draft, but you want to be ready for them if and when they become free agents in a few years. And perhaps there were some things that he saw at that point in time and never had the chance to get the player. And now he's on the market and said, you know what? He'll fit for X reason. I think that is what we often see from a lot of Patriot signings is that we see that there was one specific thing that Belichick h- homed in on as the reason why he would be a good fit. But at this point, without that being clear, it's, it's a little bit of a head scratcher.
0: Yeah. Yeah. knows? maybe there was some love at first sight at the combine, mm-hmm. you know, and who, who hasn't, You know, who hasn't had full Full bloom bloom love love. at the the Combine? Yeah, you know, who among us? Um, Who among us? All right, uh, so let's go to uh, a very, uh, okay, yeah. So the second part of this, which I keep forgetting, uh, is the best overall signing. So um, Jenny, who do you have as the best overall signing of free agencies so far?
1: So I considered putting this signing in the under the radar best signing, which is our third category coming up. Because I don't think this is like this player, despite his level of play, and despite the fact that he has played for a prominent team in the past, is not really a household name. But I put him in this category because he should be a household name. John Johnson three going to nice. the Browns. I think this is a fantastic move. It, they wanted a player at this position. They targeted him. And the best part about John Johnson the three the third is that he shouldn't have been a free agent. He only was because the Rams were in cap hell, right? So this is the ideal free agent to sign. Somebody that the team would have loved to keep didn't have the room for. And, you know, it's a, it's a position where that is not always a priority for teams. Uh, and so the Browns raced in and grabbed him. And I think it's a fantastic move for the the Browns.
0: Huge band aid for their secondary. And then they have Delpit too, who missed uh, his rookie season, the second round pick out of LSU. Like, I'm just like, they could surprise a lot of people defensively next year. Like that could be a really real, this year, they, they could be a really good defensive football team, like a division winning de- defensive football team. And that's the kind of, that's one of those like cornerstone, like chief signing Tyra and Matthew signings almost, mm-hmm. you know, that I think makes a lot of sense and, and puts the cherry on top of, of everything there. I really like that one. Um, I'm going to go with Kenny Galladay and, you know, cause I think that it, it wasn't, they, Did they spend a lot of money? Yeah, kind of, but not really. I mean, he didn't top the wide receiver market. The wide receiver market is, like, flying right now above $20 million a year. You know, I know uh, based on the amount of money he'll get in the first year, um, he did pretty well for himself. But there's some voidable years in the back end of that contract. And I think that's a great signing. Like, I think the Giants very, very rarely... Go out on a limb with offensive skill position players in free agency. I would say this is probably their most significant free agent acquisition off on the offensive side of the ball um, since Plaxico Burris, probably. I um, mean, If you want to throw Nate Solder in there, um, I, I think that's definitely worth uh, mentioning, too. But I, I think this is great. It, it, and, and it gives you an exact evaluation on Daniel Jones. Now you'll know. Go, before his fifth-year option is even up, you'll know whether or not he's the guy that you think he is. Because you have Kenny Galladay, who is the best contested catch wide receiver in the NFL over the last two years. You have Sterling Shepard. You have uh, you have Darius Slayton. You have Evan Ingram. You have Kyle Rudolph. This is a great set of skill position players, not to mention Saquon Barkley coming back um, from, from an injury. So... If you can't get it done, if you're dimes at that point, then the Weekside podcast is not going to be here to defend you anymore.
1: (laughs) No longer a pro dimes show, Connor. No longer. No, I I agree. They needed a, a top receiver and they went out and got one. And I think there's been a lot of comparisons, obviously, between the Corey Davis signing and the Kenny Galladay signing because they occurred in the same market obviously a big difference in price, but a big difference in production as well. And Galladay was injured last year, but he has two 1,000-yard seasons, whereas Corey Davis doesn't have any. And, you know, he has a season with 11 touchdowns, which is as many touchdowns as Corey Davis has had in his entire career to date. So I do think there is clearly a difference in what you're paying for. And I'm with you, Connor. I think the price was high, but I don't think over the three-year deal it will look high.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's imminently affordable. And the nice part is, I think if you're Joe Judge, you find out what all you need to know on Daniel Jones this year. Um, if he stinks, you pull the plug, and then you still have a top dog for your next quarterback that you're theoretically going to bring in to either compete with Daniel Jones or whatever you want to do. Um, or Daniel Jones and Galladay develop a great relationship. And, you know, you end up having a team that... I think, could compete for the uh, for the NFC East. I mean, they did last year had it not been for those dastardly Philadelphia Eagles just quitting on us like that. Um, well,
1: I mean, anyone can compete for the NFC East. <laughs> so, I mean, just, just throwing that out there.
0: The State College Nittany Lions. Uh,
1: there you go. Did I, by the way, did I say three years for Galladay? I meant to say four years. If I said three years, I, I really meant four. And if I didn't, then you can just disregard that line.
0: Well, I think regardless, uh, you, I think even if you did, you were making a point about an abstract point about the nature of the fleeting nature of NFL contracts. There you go,
1: Connor. Thank you. Thank you for interpreting as always and making me (laughs) sound less dumb. Really appreciate it.
0: (laughs) Not, uh, well, that's not true. You are, you are the, uh, the brains and the, uh, the broad behind the weak side podcast. So. All right, let's go on to our final category. Uh, this will be a fun one. So the best under the radar signing of free agency so far.
1: All right. So great. I started talking before the sound effect was over, but...
0: We're new to the game show business. So. Yeah,
1: we're, we're learning on the fly. So I'll go first, Connor, since I've already started talking. Uh, Trent Williams got all the, the big headlines... In terms of the offensive line signings, but really I'm I think the Alex Mack signing could be just as big for the 49ers. Yeah. And they got him at a pretty good deal. Uh, I think all the guaranteed money, which is a little over five million, is in the first year of his three year contract. So you know, there's a lot of flexibility in the deal, but he's a player who really knows Kyle Shanahan's offense, who was the starting center when the 49ers went to the Super Bowl or excuse me, when the Falcons went to the Super Bowl with Kyle Shanahan as the OC. So he brings all of that experience, which will not only help the offensive line, it will really help Jimmy Garoppolo. And I just think a center with experience in the offense can be so transformative. I mean, clearly an interior offensive lineman can be transformative, but a center who knows Kyle Shanahan's system in and out is so essential because he's making a lot of the the checks at the line of scrimmage. He's He's making a lot of the the protection calls, and can really take a burden off Jimmy Garoppolo's plate. So I, I think this will make a huge difference for the 49ers.
0: Yeah, that was one of those where... I think especially after and you you don't want to compare um, apples to oranges here, but um, the way that Andrew Whitworth played in L.A., you know, you're seeing some offensive linemen who are smart enough and can handle their body in a certain way that they can play really effective football into their late 30s. And like Alex Mack is one of those guys where it's like if he's available, you have to go out and get him. If you have a rookie quarterback, you want him. If you have a veteran quarterback, you want him, Um, you know. I bring this up often in the show, but only because it was so instructive. I mean, you know, you better than anybody know the value of a center to a good offense and, you know, how that guy can be a nerve center and take so much stress and pressure off of a player. Um, uh, Jenny, uh, I'm referencing uh, a piece that she did on Nick Mangold back in 2010, which I urge uh, everybody, maybe you can throw that in the description at some point, but, um, I think that that's great. And it gives Kyle Shanahan a lot of options. I think, like, if you're going rookie. You know, maybe you're getting rid of Jimmy Garoppolo and you're drafting Trey Lance. Like, I'm just throwing that out there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have a great guy there uh, that's going to help in that process right away. If you're bringing back Jimmy Garoppolo and you understand his limitations, you're just buying him more time in the pocket, too. I, I love everything mm-hmm. about that signing. I thought it was really smart. And they got him for next to nothing, too.
1: Yeah, it was really on the cheap. And I think exactly, Connor, you laid it out really well that whichever direction they go at quarterback, it helps. And... If they weren't going to make a a seismic move with Garoppolo this offseason, well, then you get a center that can enhance his performance.
0: Yeah, I'm going to go with and this is going to be a weird one, but maybe because, you know, someone can kind of help me understand this. But I, I really like Desmond King. And I think he's a good player. And I don't understand why teams keep letting him go. Like, I thought he was really good when he was with the Chargers, and then he went to the Titans, and the Titans let him hit free agency. And now he's with the Texans. And the Texans are going to be a disaster in 2021. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But if you can get a guy like that who can play any of your secondary positions well, you know, okay, you can argue that he had one to one and a half down seasons. But there was also before that really high elite level of play like you know top five cornerback in the league level of play and so i don't see why you wouldn't want to take another stab at that and see if you can continue to develop him as a cornerback but i i don't know i always really liked him i was just confused as to why nobody else seems to
1: and a really good returner as well was was all pro one year as a punt returner i believe so also versatile and useful in that regard too
0: yeah um so you know, maybe it's one of those things where um uh as usual, like I could just I could just be very wrong. Uh you know, I, I sometimes I will watch games and I am uh, I, I know I see what I want to see. Um What is that song? Um You only uh, hear you say you only hear what you want to. Um uh, Yeah. Was that Lisa Loeb?
1: I mean I can hear it. You say yeah. You only hear what you want to.
0: That's about me and Desmond King. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, by the way, we got we got uh, we got big props on uh, Twitter for our Alanis Morissette uh, combo last week. Oh so.
1: yeah, so this is just we're just really working in a lot of old favorites music. I mean, I think everybody enjoys that.
0: Yeah, you know the just sounds sounds that might have been playing. In the CD player of your friend's car while you were driving around with the windows down, um, you know, going to get some ice cream or hang out a blockbuster video. You know, I mean,
1: this can really apply. I'm looking up the lyrics. I talk so all the time, <laughs> you know. Um, I'm only hearing negative, no, no, bad. I mean, this is really why we're, we're named the Weekside Podcast because generally <laughs> we hear negative. So, I mean, this could really be. I mean, we we clearly have a great theme song, um, and we do not want to replace it, but this can be like a tertiary option.
0: I was going to say that said, Lisa Loeb, uh, if you're listening, uh, <laughs> are get you an out NFL of... fan? Yeah. Do you want to break <laughs>
1: down free agency with us? <laughs>
0: as soon as we get Melissa Etheridge on the podcast, uh-huh. you are yes. next. So, yes. you know, may- maybe we'll just do Lisa Loeb, Melissa Etheridge, it, you know, anybody else. Uh, if you have a 90s singer songwriter that you would like to say, have on the podcast, breaking down the NFL, leave it in a rating and review. <laughs> um the week side podcast and we will do our best to get it we are reporters this is theoretically what we should be able to do for a living you know um we have been in contact with the etheridge camp so you know we're working on this we're stuff. working you know, on this it is a, yeah. you know, this is this is stuff that uh you know it takes time it takes you're, time to set up
1: you're just gonna have to see what we're we're able to pull off here
0: that's right. Um, all right, so that uh, concludes uh, the, our, our first annual free agency award show. Uh, very fun and a great job by producer Shelby. And so we'll close it out like we always do with um, an oracle. And here's what I'll say about the Ravens. Uh, so they were... Uh, Seemed like tangentially evolved in in Kenny Galladay didn't get him. Uh, it seemed like they offered a little bit more money for Juju Smith Schuster didn't get him. I would say to just be on the lookout for Baltimore in the coming weeks leading up to the draft. I think that they make their move at some point. They've been just too hot on the wide receiver market to. And, and I know that this is a good wide receiver draft class. You know, this is probably something where you can get one guy and maybe bring in another one via trade, but. I would not be surprised if they're able to um, uh, snag somebody to put on their roster, maybe a big name that we don't know is on the move or soon to be on the move. And I, I think it could work out for them. I think there are teams that probably want to part ways with wide receivers to get one of these rookies, you know, get a little bit younger and cheaper. And I think that either way, Baltimore, I think is in a good position there to be able to snag somebody and finally upgrade there. Cause man, they have been so, so, so desperate to do that.
1: Yeah, that's a great one. And I, I think that's, really smart to keep an eye on that. While we're talking about the Ravens as a side note, another option I considered for under the radar signing was Kevin Zeitler. I think Yeah, interior lineman for the offense that they run who can make a lot of things happen in the run game. Really big move for the Ravens as well.
0: Absolutely. Um I really uh yeah, I think, you know, I I don't want to speak for you. I have a feeling that Baltimore has um team of the podcast potential for next year yeah. um you know i think bird team um <laughs> you know certainly a team that was um you know devastated in some way rising from the ashes <laughs> like these are all themes you know uh, birds uh, uh uh grit determination a lot of the things that form the underpinning of the Weekside side podcast so i uh, i i just think they you know they might uh they might be in line for Team of the Pot. I'm just saying. So uh, we'll see. I'm
1: with you, Connor. I think you always look for things that set podcasts apart. And I think we can say confidently that we are the only NFL ornithological podcast. And so, <laughs> therefore, the Ravens are good <laughs> candidates to be a star for 2021 on the show.
0: Take us for a walk in your, uh, you know, uh, what's the um, bird? Sa- is there a bird sanctuary in Central Park? There is, uh, right?
1: There's a sanctuary. I think there is a bird sanctuary. Or like a sanctuary. place where
0: ornithological enthusiasts but, gather well, there
1: is a lot of bird watching i mean okay the 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 latest account that i have followed is this great bird watching account uh, in central park and there were the travails of the snowy owl which i was lucky enough to see twice both times by chance I saw the snowy owl on the 92nd street pump house one night. And then I saw snowy owl on what, uh, according to this, this Twitter account is amazing. It's called at bird central park. And it's name is Manhattan bird alert. So they basically (laughs) track what, what people are seeing in central park. And so the snowy owl, which hadn't been seen here, I think like in a century or something, I I don't want to have misinformation here, but the second time I saw the snowy owl, I think was the last was her last night in central park. And, Per bird alert, they thought that the snowy owl took advantage of these strong southwest winds to fly back to her far north home. Um, In any event, twice saw the the snowy owl. There's also the barred owl, which uh, makes a home in the Ramble, which is another section of Central Park. And just like various other hawks and 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 other birds that you get alerts on in the park. So I've just I've got my eyes open, Connor.
0: I love it. Um, so if you uh, or anybody else like Jenny who likes to go out and uh, catch a glimpse at a rare uh, <laughs> bird, we have a uh, blue herring and a hawk in our community that uh, are very fun to uh, to take pictures of, um, then take along the Weekside Podcast. We're the perfect accompaniment for your uh, bird watching pleasure. I think we probably speak at an adequate volume, so we're not going to scare the birds. There's not a lot of yelling on this podcast. That, so.
1: That's true, although my seventh grade homeroom teacher, did tell me that I have a voice that carries so this was not conveyed in a positive sense uh, so something to, something to keep in mind there
0: I think that's just due to the I, I disagree with her assessment personally but um, you know I think that's just maybe it was the acoustics in the room I don't yeah, know Yeah,
1: could just be that I was loud Connor but I appreciate <laughs> this um, alright so I will close out with the Brentis consensus suggested by Connor or a very good one here This is a week we're talking about a lot of spending, free agency spending, a lot of monies, dollars. You make an investment in hopes of building something great, right? So that's what the NCAA women's tournament is asking for, to have equal investment from the NCAA as the men's tournament. And I thought Don Staley from South Carolina really laid out very well some of the differences and certainly some players – They were the ones who took charge of this. They posted on their social media videos comparing the weight room to what the men have at at their final four. Uh, We saw the swag bags. And then Dawn Staley wrote a statement, I cannot be quiet. And she pointed out the NCAA March Madness verified Twitter account, which is the official March Madness destination. But that's only men's basketball. And so you can't expect there to be equal interest, equal returns, equal revenue generation if you're not having equal investment. It all starts with investment. And the women's tournament deserves equal investment. That is the purpose of Title IX, to have equal opportunities for men and women at universities. And so kudos to all of the student athletes who stood up to the NCAA and pointed this out. Kudos to all the coaches who have also stood up and have supported the players who've said that this is not okay. And we saw the NCAA Correct the weight room, but it's crazy that the inequalities existed in the first place, and that people had to make TikTok videos to point out the inequalities in order for the NCAA to address
0: it. How could you be that short-sighted? Like, you know, I I think, and and I'm not excusing any behavior up to this point, but if you could, if you, if if you're somebody who um, is may be asleep to the idea of gender inequality before this, like there was no missing it over the last four or five years, right? You're aware now that there is gender inequality, right? Yeah. And sports is a, is a large microcosm of our society. And how could you in this moment where it's supposed to be this triumphant return for your tentpole event, um, like, not even for a second consider the optics of this like it mm-hmm. blows my mind i, I just like uh, who is running this thing you know it's just like like did they not think that anyone was going to find out uh, did they not realize it and, and if and if it's that second part it goes back to everything that you know you brought up and that we talked about it's like you know you're just comfortable with the way things have always been and Mm -hmm. and that's the problem that everybody's trying to fix trying so hard to rectify but man oh man um yeah no I'm, i'm glad you brought that up it's just um it was really sad you know i i just think uh you know, everybody deserves a chance to have that that moment, especially after not getting it last year. And, and this should have been a chance to celebrate an NCAA that came out of this pandemic with a more clear headed vision of um, both the men's and women's uh, tournament and, and their equal footing there. So, yeah, yeah. I, I, big bummer on that part.
1: Yeah, instead of using the pandemic to re examine things in our society and try to rebuild in a more equal way, it was sad to see this as you said, this 10-pole event coming out of the pandemic with nothing changed. Also sad to see this overshadow a lot of good basketball. I mean, the women are there to compete, and it's the highest level of their sport at the in the college ranks, and it's an achievement to make the tournament, and instead this is what they have to spend their time talking about because they are forced to uh, because of the NCAA's negligence. So.
0: On a lighter note, I was wondering if you had the same experience as I did, where um, uh, Jenny and I both worked for the Star Ledger of Newark, which was you know the the paper that covered the University of Rutgers, and the men and the women um, both had a nice little run there at the beginning of the tournaments. Uh, the men got their first win, at f- first NCAA tournament win since nineteen ninety one, um, and the women have always had a phenomenal program there at Rutgers, and like. I still cannot watch something with a very niche Jersey tie and not feel nervous in the pit <laughs> of my stomach. Like, are you the same way as me? Like I, I, I like if Rutgers is doing something big nationally, I get very nervous because I'm like, okay, I'm about to get dispatched to go somewhere or, yeah. um, or if there's a famous uh, a person in the NCAA tournament that emerges as famous, who is from New from Jersey, jersey. Yes. I get similarly nervous because I'm like, oh no, um, you know, whatever uh joe barry the guard from iona just had three uh three pointers to win the game and he's from milburn i gotta get to milburn i gotta get to milburn
1: (laughs) go to the high school maybe try to arrange to sit with the parents at the next game what's going on who can we talk to (laughs) are there signs up in the hometown like uh, same connor it's like a it's an instinct that will never go away but that's one of the great parts yeah of working for a local paper is that you're really serving the community and i miss that a lot of times
0: i do too i agree um but yeah thanks for um thanks for spotlighting that and uh to our international listeners too um you know if you're interested in kind of what's going on uh, with the march madness stuff feel free to uh to shoot us an email i'm not saying that you don't follow march madness but it might be one of those things that's just not necessarily on your radar you know yeah yeah um but yeah thanks as thanks as always and hope you guys enjoyed the uh, the first ever uh, free agency uh winners and losers show
1: Boom. The Weekside Podcast is me, Jenny Rentis, and Connor Orr. We are produced by Shelby Royston. SI's executive producer of podcasts is Scott Brody. Mark Moravik is the emeritus executive director of the MMQB. Our theme music was written and composed by singer-songwriter Ryan Harris Brown, whose latest album, Stranded in the Present Tense, is available now on all major streaming services. Keep up with the Weekside Podcast by subscribing to our new feed on Apple Podcasts, and while you're there, leave a rating and review. It really does help other people find the show, which is also available on Spotify, Radio.com, Stitcher, or wherever else you find your podcasts.